Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Julie Tonkey, music reporter. We have a very special guest today. She's a member of Nashville's first family of gospel, daughter of Reverend Sam McCrary of the Fairfield Four. By the age of 19, she was singing with Stevie Wonder. She's been a big part of Bob Dylan on stage in the studio yeah. during his, his Born Again years. And now she sings with her three other powerhouse sisters, yeah. the McCrary sisters. Yes. And y'all are doing an Easter brunch performance, the whole fame. Oh. Oh, yeah. Welcome, Regina McCrary. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, on uh, this coming Sunday, Easter Sunday, I think it's at the first show is it's a breakfast show at 9 a.m., and then the second one is at noon. We had the opportunity to do this last year, and it was beautiful. And we brought in a few of our family members to help us out, and it was it was beautiful. It was just absolutely beautiful. Now you're you're the youngest of, of eight children, right? No, I'm the seventh girl. I mean, I'm the seventh child, the third girl. And uh, Frida is the baby. Okay, she's the tallest, and she's also the baby. <laughs> so, was there music in the household just from the time you were set? I mean, what do you remember growing up musically? Oh my God, yeah, everybody. I'm the seventh child, so when I came into to the family, when they brought me home, there was music. There was music. Um, I the, the Fairfield Four was rehearsing at our home, and then I had I have four big brothers, and I had two big sisters, and there was music everywhere. And then Frida came along, and four boys, four girls, everybody singing. We would sing anything and everything from whatever my mother cooked in the kitchen to um, and my father being the pastor of St. Mark Baptist Church we were in the choir we were in the regular choir we were in the youth choir uh, we were at church constantly going to visit other churches and then um, my mom what a lot of people don't know was my mom was a singer and my mom and my dad both sung and my dad would ask my mom to get up on Sundays and sing a solo and she'd act like she didn't want to but she loved it. <laughs> and this was at St. Mark's in Germantown on 6th? Yes, yes. Still St. Mark on, on German 6th Avenue North, yeah. I guess singing then was probably more natural than speaking for you it sounds like. Yeah, I think I came out of the womb saying Mama, Daddy and Jesus. It was like everybody everybody and the, and the beautiful thing was when we all opened our mouths to sing, everybody had their own feel and where they were. So it was like listening to the Fairfield Four, we learned a whole lot about harmony and fifth notes and all of that. So we would get up and start singing and everybody would find where they fit in and we just go for it. And you know, my dad didn't push singing on us. He didn't say, you got this gift, you gotta use it. No, he just allowed us to freely flow and find our way into it. And I'm so glad he did it that way because I still, at the age I'm at now, I 
ideal love to sing. So when you grew up, um, it's such a great time for, for rock and roll, for R&B. Um, what were you listening to in the house? Was it mostly gospel or was it? Yeah. In the house, it was gospel. It was a little B.B. King. Um, uh, for me and Frida and my brother Ricky, it was like the Jackson 5. You know, we got to listen to them. And my father knew um, Joe Jackson. So the Jackson 5 came to town and I wanted to go to the show, but I couldn't. And I cried so pitiful. But Why couldn't you go? Because I, I didn't have nobody to go with me. And I wanted to go and see. I always thought Michael Jackson was going to be my husband anyway. He allowed us to listen to secular music, all kind of music. But basically, we were into our spirituality, our, our gospel music. And he was, our, he was our number one fan, and I mean idol, because when people said, well, who do you look up to, and out of all the singers that you've ever heard, which one inspired you? And I have to say, my daddy, my mom, and my sister Ann. Those were the people that I used to listen to sing. I used to listen to them sing constantly. I've always looked up to Ann. You know, she had that Rita Franklin kind of feel on her. And um, uh, my dad was just, I mean, Sam Cooke put out a book in his biography that said, he mentioned my father and he said, I stole some of my riffs and notes that I sing, my style of singing from Sam McCreary of the Fairfield Four. Wow. So I, I I just started listening. I love to hear my dad sing. I don't I didn't care what he was singing. I just love to hear him. Yeah, Sam McCreary, one of the one of the great tenors of, of Nashville. Yeah, but then I have to be honest, also it was um Rita Franklin, Gladys Knight, Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That, that, they they were my favorite. And as far as gospel Shirley Caesar. So, but you started uh, your career as sort of a professional musician when you were very young. Yeah, I think I was like seven, eight when I was, we were nominated the BCNM Mass Choir. <laughs> I started singing with them when I was about six. And we start traveling on the road, and we would be on a 65-passenger bus, but it would be almost 80 of us. So we double up in seats, and where you put your luggage up at the top, they put a pillow and a pad, and because I was so little, that would be my bed up there. And um, Hope you didn't hit any bumps on the way. Yeah, yeah, we did, but I was just so happy to be in the number. It was like... uh, just to travel. Nobody made a, a, a paycheck. They gave one big check, and it went towards helping. And the BCNM stood for Baptist, Catholic, and Methodist. Okay. So it was a bunch of young people from different uh, religions, and, and and we all came together, and we put all that aside and came together, and we just sung praises and told about the good news of Jesus Christ, and we loved it. And when I was Six years old, I recorded a song called I Made a Vow to the Lord, and uh, it was nominated for a Grammy up against Aretha Franklin and James Cleveland, uh, Amazing Grace, and of course they won, but the honor is I was nominated, the BCNM was nominated for a song that I did the lead vocals on. That's not bad for six years old. No, no, I thought it was awesome. (laughs) Did you get to go to the Grammys? Yes. I'll never forget, I had on a key 
lime green dress. Wow. Hear me. I was there. I was there. That's awesome. I bet your feet couldn't touch the floor. No. The seats. I, my, my feet was rocking and I was swinging, and, but I was there. I, I felt so blessed to be a part of that. Yeah, when you're young, you're too excited to be nervous. You no. probably got to ride on a plane. No, we didn't do too many riding on planes when I was that young. I started riding on planes when I was, how old was I? I think when I started going out, everywhere I was going before then was basically on buses, cars. Mm-hmm. And when I started traveling, um, I rode on a few planes when I went out to audition and meet Stevie Wonder. Um, I rode on a plane a few times when I was about 16, 17, but most of that growing up was busing and cars and vans. But then I got to go back to the Grammys when Bob Dylan Mm-hmm. Won his Grammy. You sang on that. On yes, that we got to perform and everything. Yeah, but first you have to tell me everything about Stevie Wonder. Well, you know the crazy thing was I I didn't get a chance to go out and tour with him, but what happened was uh, a friend of mine named Carol Dennis was um, she's my god sister. She was singing with Stevie. And Stevie was looking for, he was just getting a bunch of different singers together. And these singers were coming in, and Stevie was in Bugaloosa, uh, Louisiana, somewhere. That sounds like a Louisiana town name. Okay. And um, what it was is we were going there to, to audition, to sing with him, but at the same time, he was doing a record. Mm-hmm. And this record that he was doing, there was, I'm tell you how long ago it was, it was like um, all of these singers, some of them have passed away now. Um, Minnie Rippleton and all these different singers were coming in and they were doing duets with Stevie. And I think that these songs have been locked up in a vault never to be heard until Stevie's passing days. And then he's going to release them. They're going to be released. That's how he's going to bless the, his, his family. I don't know that for a fact, mm-hmm. but that's what was told to me when I went so there. These 40-year-old records, hopefully they'll stay in the vault for a little while longer. Oh, I hope they stay in there for a whole lot longer. Yeah. yeah. I sung with him, but the crazy thing was when I finished singing, he said, okay, I need you to go home. And I cried. I thought I didn't do a good job. But I found out that what had happened, and I didn't find out this until I got back to Nashville, the reason why he sent me right back home was because my son uh, was just almost two years old, and he was upstairs on the second floor and fell through. He opened up the glass door, and my sister and my brother didn't know it, and he opened up the glass doors and walked out on the balcony and the rails. He was so little that he leaned over to look down and fell through the rails 
wells and hit the ground. Oh, no. And an old couple was walking, and they said, the woman started screaming, saying, who's baby? My sisters thought he was sitting on the couch watching TV. He had fallen through off the second floor, hit the ground. They called and told Stevie and Stevie's manager, once I finished my audition, they sent me straight back home. Mm-hmm. And I thought I did a bad job, but what it was was my son was in the hospital. Once I got home and saw and realized what had happened, he sent me back to California, and I stayed there for three months. And he paid for me to go take voice lessons from a man by the name of Seth Ridge. And at that time, Seth Ridge was like charging $75 for 30-minute lessons. And if you came late, then it was $75 for a 15-minute lesson. (laughs) It was on you to get there on time. He wasn't trifling. No, he was awesome. And I still have all the vocal tapes that he gave me. And I still vocalized to him. So you learned. What did you learn working from him? Was it technique? Technique more of when you're on the road and you're doing night after night shows, one city to another city, one city hot, one city cold, night after night singing. You have to learn how to to take care of your vocals and, and, and not sing just from the stomach, but, you know, bring that air, the diaphragm, because if you pull from the wrong place, you will tap your vocal cords. You get nodules and all that on your vocal cords. So what happened was I got an opportunity to not only learn how to take care of my voice, but to realize that if you could sing a note, even if it sounded very faint, if you kept working on it, you could eventually hit that note. And he's just awesome. Yeah. Okay. So a couple weeks ago, uh, me and my friend Juan uh, saw you at the Bluegrass Underground, which is a cave 300 feet underground. How how does one prepare their voice for that environment? Oh, well, I'm a little sniffing from that one because it was like it it was a little chilly Mm -hmm. outside. So it made it cold inside. But the place is so beautiful, you don't think about none Gorgeous. of that. It is just phenomenal. It's You look at it, and it's like, wow. It freaks you out when you first go in. Because it's kind of claustrophobic. But, yes. then you, but then you go in the big room. Yes, and it's like open, and it's, it's just... I don't know if that's God's God's creation of nature, of showing us, or if somebody dug it out. I don't know. I, they told me it was that's naturally that way, and it is beautiful. So I hate being cold. I'd rather be in a warm climate. If you ask me where I want to be, send me somewhere where it's warm. But I do appreciate all four seasons, and Nashville gives you that. Sometimes in the span of a day. Yes, yes. All four seasons. <laughs> I, I didn't think about the, the 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 coldness and everything too much because I was just happy, and it was just so beautiful. But uh, when I left there, I realized I needed to go see my voice doctor, Dr. Vincent, over at Vanderbilt. Divorce clinic, and I went to her, and she took care of me and gave me what I needed, and I am recovering because we have this big show Sunday, so I'm taking care of myself. Well, that's good. It was a beautiful show in the cave. I was very worried because they have you perform under this outcropping, and you yeah. guys were rocking so hard. I was like, "There's gonna, there's gonna be collapse. It's gonna be bad." <laughs> we were but having a ball. It, it was amazing. Yeah, you are the most enthusiastic tambourine player I've ever seen. 
girl, I don't know what I'm doing. I just know that when I put that tambourine in my hand, I go spiritually, I go to a whole nother place. You were beating that tambourine like it owed you money, Regina yeah. Prairie. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, but I love it. It was so much fun to watch. And and people come up to me and they say, Let me see your hand. I don't have a callus. You don't have tambourine hands? No. That's gotta be that's just gotta be God because people come up to me and they're like Please, let me just look at your hand right now. And there's, there's nothing, but I love doing it. <laughs> you did three albums with, with Bob Dylan. How did you end up uh, connecting with him? Oh, it was so weird. Uh, my friend again, Carol Dennis, mm-hmm. she called me, and Bob had just gotten rid of, fired. I don't know how that happened, but he needed another singer. And uh, she called me and asked me if I was interested. She said, Bob Dylan's looking for another singer. I said, who is Bob Dylan? I didn't know him. I knew his music. I knew Lay, Lady, Lay and the end, uh, Blowing in the Wind. Those are mm-hmm. two songs I knew. They came into town. I went to that hotel that's right across the street where it used to be the downtown main post office. Now I think it's the Fritz Art Building. Okay. Okay. That hotel right there. Uh, he was staying there. And I went upstairs to the suite. And uh, my friend Carol was there. It was this big room. And then connected was a bedroom, and it was an open door. So right there, sitting on this bed, in a pair of leather pants, a leather vest, and a white shirt with some sunglasses on. I don't know if it, it was like a hat pulled down, and she said, okay, let's sing. So I sung um, Everything Must Change by mm-hmm. Quincy Jones, I think. And he didn't move. And then I sung Precious Lord. He took his shades and pulled them down just a little bit (laughs) where I could see the first top part of his eyelid and his eyes, and he looked at me from there. And then I sung um, Amazing Grace, Mm -hmm. and my friend Carol started harmonizing with me, and he jumped up off the bed. He said, that's what I want. That's it right there. That's it. That's what I want. And he came over to me, and he got this big boombox, sit it on this counter and push record, put a tape in there and said, now singing, push record. And we sung Amazing Grace. And he said, that's what I want. That's the sound. He said, you got the job. And I said, thank you. He said, you got to get your hair braided. I said, okay, you paying for it? (laughs) And he said, he started laughing. He said, yeah, that's how I got my job with him. And that's how I met him for the first time. And Um, you were just a kid, right? Early 20s. I was 20. I was. This was like 78, 79. 